don't usually talk very much about heaven and hell in Los Gatos in the 21st century. We may hear war zones or attacks on civilians or even the shopping mall before Christmas described as a living hell, but generally people do not think of hell in terms of an afterlife. Today's gospel lesson gives us a vivid image of heaven and hell. Surprisingly, it did not originate with Jesus. It's actually an old story, one that predated our Lord, and it is well-traveled. It may have originated in Egypt, and there are a number of versions in rabbinic literature. It's a brief story, but a very effective one. In fact, some preachers feel there's little left to say after this gospel has been read. Alan Jones, former dean of Grace Cathedral, said that he sometimes would look out at his congregation and think that in 100 years, everyone there would be dead. All of us are future dead people. And while it may seem dreary to meditate on that fact, it's actually a very good spiritual practice. If we were to find ourselves dead later today, what unfinished business do you wish you would have done? What charity would you have supported? Suddenly it would be very clear that we can't take it with us. What apology would you have made? What forgiveness would you extend? What words of love would you speak? Today's gospel is a memento mori. We are dust, and to dust we will return. It says, in essence, do it now. You will not have another chance. Let's look at our gospel in more detail. It's a story in three acts. Act 1 tells of a rich man who dressed in purple linen, which was the most expensive cloth in those times, and who dined sumptuously while a poor beggar starved outside his gate. The wealthy man, who is sometimes given the name of Divus, is in marked contrast to Lazarus, the name of the impoverished one who lay outside his door. We're told the dogs licked Lazarus's wounds, and this was an added indignity because dogs were considered unclean. Lazarus was hungry and diseased, and the street dogs were waiting to finish him off. It's a story where we clearly see the difference between luxury and misery. Act 2 tells us they both die. It's noteworthy that scripture says only one, the rich man, was buried. Lazarus was probably bones for the neighborhood dogs. We're not given much information about their lives, but it's evident that the rich man did not practice charity toward the poor. He may not have been an evil man, Perhaps he was very busy and never really focused on Lazarus. And we don't know if Lazarus was a righteous man. All we know is that he was poor and he suffered. After their deaths, their fortunes are reversed. Lazarus is resting on the bosom of Father Abraham, and the rich man is suffering in the flames of eternal torment. It's very clear his privilege did not extend into the afterlife. The story gives an interesting view of life after death, and it's important to remember that this is a story. It is not Christian theology, 
It's not the Lonely Planet's guide to the afterlife. It's a story that circulated in Jesus' life, and it's one he used. Then comes Act 3. Despite his torment in the flames of hell, the rich man engaged in conversation, and he continued to treat Lazarus as a beggar, saying to Father Abraham, Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. And even when he was denied that request, he still begged Father Abraham to help his family by sending Lazarus to tell them. Although Lazarus was finally at peace and receiving his divine reward, he was still treated as a gopher for the rich man. The great disparity between the rich man and Lazarus is comparable to our current economic situation. Our nation is more stratified stratified than people can remember. Economists tell us there are more extremely rich people and extremely poor people than ever before, and the middle class is diminishing rapidly. The result is more polarization and instability, and this presents a challenge to churches and to people of faith. And that brings us to our first lesson today from the prophet Amos which is a prophecy to the northern kingdom, which was larger and richer and more powerful than it had ever been or would be. He described the people lying on beds of ivory, drinking wine from bowls and anointing themselves with the finest oils. Because they did not care for the ruin of others, Amos prophesied that they would be the first to go into exile. And less than 25 years after that prophecy, the kingdom had collapsed. It was defeated by the Assyrians and lay ravaged and demoralized. While it was not impossible to see such a calamity coming as Amos did, his voice stood out alone. Most of his contemporaries were lulled into a false security by the luxury and wealth around them. Our second lesson from Paul's first letter to Timothy also speaks of wealth, but does so in a variety of different ways. Ultimately, Paul does not condemn the rich for being rich. He advises them not to be haughty and not to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but rather to set their hopes on God. He urges them to be rich in good deeds, liberal and generous, and thereby to store up treasure in heaven. Today, we officially begin our stewardship drive here at St. Luke's. Our lessons today speak of the need to be mindful of the ways in which we use our wealth. Our wealth is our time, our talents, and our treasure. Today's lessons speak of our treasure, and this is a time to consider how we are sharing what God has given to us. With that in mind, let's return to our gospel lesson. What does the story say to us? Does it still speak to us today? Who are we in the story? Are we the rich man? Are we the poor beggar? Some have looked at the story and interpreted the figures as nations in the world. Albert Schweitzer was profoundly moved by the story, and it caused a revolution in his own life. He concluded that Africa was the wounded beggar lying at Europe's doorstep. And so he went to Africa and founded the Lamborghini Hospital 
to begin to redress the injustice between the nations. How does this gospel story of luxury and misery affect you? When you look at the world we live in, when you look at Los Gatos, at Silicon Valley, at the Bay Area, and at other countries in the news, who are the players you see? A great deal of formulating our own theology is to study the parables of Jesus and look for their contemporary message. This gospel speaks for all time. It's not locked into a particular rich person or a particular beggar. Essentially, it's a story of a person who spent a life oblivious to the human misery all around, misery he could have helped alleviate. And suddenly, it was too late, and judgment had been inexorably fixed. To his dismay, there was no way he could warn others who were living as he had. As the old spiritual says of the chasm, it was so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it, so wide you can't get around it. It was fixed and forever in place. As I said when I began, we live in a time when people do not talk very much about heaven and hell. It may be because many of us are busy creating a material type of heaven on earth. But it is a very fragile heaven, and hell can literally crash in. We also know that Jesus spoke of heaven on earth, but it was of a different order. He spoke of the reign of God, of the kingdom of heaven. He said heaven was within us, and between us, and around us, and among us. And he taught us to pray that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today's story urges us to get our priorities straight before it is too late. A while back, I heard a prayer which asked that we become a treasure for the poor. The phrase stayed with me, a treasure for the poor. Jesus kept telling us that real treasures are not material, not monetary. What matters is loving God caring for one another, and sharing what we have. St. Luke seeks to alleviate the suffering of the economically poor through the work of the pantry and other programs of outreach during the year. But in order to do that work, the church must continue. Economic poverty is a painful and serious thing, but there is also a spiritual poverty that contributes to the ruptures in our society and which the church addresses. If you have found strength and healing and community at St. Luke's, and if you have found your life grounded in the teachings of Jesus, your financial support will enable those gifts to continue and to reach out to others. May St. Luke's become a treasure for the poor. May you become a treasure for the poor. May I become a treasure for the poor. If we could do that as individuals, as a church, as a people, there would no longer be that great gulf between the rich and the poor, between luxury and misery. And there would probably be no fixed chasm that separated heaven and earth heaven and hell, 
And if you think about it, probably none that separates heaven and earth. Amen.